Welcome to another episode of the Grazing Sheep Podcast. I'm your host, Big Tom Perkins, along with Dr. Cameron Meyerly. And we kind of figured maybe today we'd just continue on with our discussion of uh, just getting ready for lambing season. Yeah, we got a little sidetracked last time, started talking about some apps, some grazing resources, and that kind of chewed into our time of lambing preparation and some of the things we'd like to have coming up here in the new year. Yep. So what are some essentials for you, Tom, that going into lambing season you have to have and you really don't want to sit there and wait for it to get shipped to the house? Well, I don't know. I think we kind of covered everything on the last episode. You know, like I said, the uh, a tuber or, lamb, or whatever that's called. It's not called a tuber. What's that called? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think just a feeding tube. Feeding tube, I guess. That's what it is. Yeah, a tuber. Yeah, I, and, and um, if you want to call it a tuber, I think that's totally fine as long as we know that it's <laughs> you know, an actual yeah, I think the other instrument and not a is, potato. Um, I know. I was really apprehensive about tubing my first lamb. And then after I did it, I was like, well, that wasn't that bad at all. That was that went pretty good. So yeah, I'd I, say maybe maybe get on uh, the YouTube there and find you some videos of how people tube lambs. And I know there's some that are highly technical, and I, I did watch those, and I kind of used those. But after, like, the third or fourth lamb that I ever tubed, I quit kind of quit doing all the technical things. And you kind of figure out, you know, that, that tube tends to go in there pretty easy. So. Right, and just figuring out what works for you. I know, and like you said, I think that's one of those things that just takes practice. You know, you do two or three of them, and all of a sudden it kind of clicks on how how easy it is. I remember we were at a prominent breeder's farm there in Indiana, uh, and this was, you know, growing up. We were looking at some sheep, and he had mentioned that he milks out every ewe, milks out colostrum on every ewe and tubes every single lamb within that first 24 hours to make sure that they get colostrum, which to me felt like overkill. And we're dealing with some, some high dollar sheep. And uh, I understand you don't want to lose that investment, but I don't know that I'm, (laughs) I'm that committed, but we do not hesitate if we've got one that just looks to be, lagging behind early on um it's it's not a situation where we we wait uh, we we tube them if we think they need it and you know then mm-hmm. that they've they've got food in their belly and they're hopefully then going to thrive so yeah, and i, I think see, along I the line from a management i can see from a management position how you know that would be a beneficial thing to do but at the same time, you know, we're trying to breed sheep here that, uh, that you shouldn't have to do that. Right. And that's, I think that's the difference. If we, wasn't a commercial producer, if we look at what their operation was, you know, their goal wasn't necessarily to breed sheep that would, would go out and work in a commercial setting. Yeah. It was to breed sheep that were going to thrive for exhibition. And to do that, they've got to live past. <laughs> past those first 24 hours. Yeah. Uh, and again, they're worth that young lamb is worth quite a bit of money to, to salvage that 
uh, investment that you have in genetics and everything else. I think that was kind of more their their thought process, and they know that they're they're going to receive some colostrum mm-hmm. um, at that a guaranteed amount of colostrum. And I think to the tubing point, one of those essentials in lambing preparation is either having that going into the lambing season, knowing you're going to freeze some colostrum. I've talked to a number of producers that every single lamb, every ewe that is single bearing, they'll milk out a significant amount of colostrum and freeze it for the season. And they know they're going to do that at the start of that lambing season when they need to tube. They have some some natural uh, colostrum produced from those ewes. Yeah, um, definitely not a bad thing that, to do. I've, I've seen where people put that colostrum in a ice cube tray so that they can, mm. uh, you know, crack that open and get that stuff melted. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's not too, I mean, that's about the right amount. I'm not sure how many ounces are in a, in an ice cube, maybe one. I think there's an ounce in an, your average ice cube. Yeah. I don't know. I've, I've never, uh, never measured it out to see. What it no, neither have I, but I mean, it seems like it would be a nice uh, measurement to move forward with when we have to tube those, those young lambs. And I think also, really paying attention to our our bagged colostrum so that powdered colostrum that we're we're buying to make sure we have those antibody levels uh, those immunoglobulin immunoglobulin levels that are in there uh, and that they're in a usable form but and it's expensive I know we've we've purchased some over the years and it's about the same price as a bag of milk replacer, except you get a little, get a I little know. pouch. Yeah, and, <laughs> not much there. Yeah, that's probably something we should do more of. As soon as, you know, we're always lambing our mature group first, so they would have, you would think they'd have way more colostrum than, you know, than the than the lamb or yeah, than the uh, ewe lambs when they lamb, but but especially the ones having singles. Yeah. I think that's a fair a fair assessment to pull some colostrum out of those ewes. We're not draining them, but no. you know we're pulling enough out that for every one ewe that has a single, can I feed two or three lambs? Yeah, that are that need that colostrum early on, and it say could be a significant savings mm-hmm. um, in that. Now, do you if you're going to milk those ewes out? Are you milking them out by hand, or um, oh, yeah. do you use do you use a product? I know at WVU we had one of those uh, easy milkers. I think it's an utterly easy milker yeah. where yeah. a pump, just a hand pump, creates a vacuum in there. Um, and did your, I did, did not. Work well, what was it? Did yours work well? No, no. See that was Our, kinda, I. Kind of what I, I saw one of those. Somebody was talking about it, and I was like, holy cats, I had to get one of those. And then you started looking at some other conversations. They were going around them, and it was like you needed different size cups or something like that. You had the math I, perfect. And, and I don't know. All I know is on those text we'll use, did not work well. And I've talked to people, just what you're saying, I've talked to people that absolutely love them. Yeah. And 
swear by them. And I never had any, I was always nervous of creating more trauma to the teeth yeah. with, with the suction aspect. Cause we know in the dairy industry, yeah, oh, the yeah. relationship of, of trauma to that, to that teeth and then its relationship to mastitis. Or it's, it's funny because CJ, I'll grab, I'll hold you. CJ will try to milk her. He's taken forever, and then we switch, and I just fill a cup up really fast. Yeah. I don't know. That's because you know, I grew up a dairy farmer. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, know? maybe that's what it. Yeah, stopped. I don't know. I just don't usually seem to have trouble getting getting milk out of them. Uh, you know, quite often I'm just here alone. I'll just I'll put a halter on that you and just tie her in a corner and. Kind of put my shoulder up against her and hold her, and a lot of times I put my head in her side, you know, just like a dairy farmer, I guess. You know, I put my right. head, yep. head in her side, kind of hold her there, and and uh, she'll be jumping around, and uh, you just kind of keep following that teat and just keep working at her. And, and maybe we've uh, talked about that previously. You know, when you guys were milking cows, or maybe you had a story of somebody else that they were over milking. Oh cows. yeah, yeah. I worked and on the farm. It, um, that uh, they had a, a bottling plant there, and and uh, we always had these. They milked 130, 140 cows. We always had these garbage cans full of uh, mastitic milk that we'd end up feeding the to uh, calves, and then they got a an automatic remover, I guess, on their milking system. That once that milk flow stopped. It just shut. Oh, the an door. automatic release. Yeah. So that the contraction yeah, actually ball. right. Yep. And then yep. would track the milker, and I mean, within two weeks, that we had to start buying milk replacer because we didn't have we didn't have the mastitis that we had before because we weren't over milking. Yeah. Yeah, and that, so that, that to views, me is I'm milking them by hand. As soon as that milk flow stops, and I'll bump that udder a few times, but you know, just like a. a lamb does but right um that milk flow stops i i stop but i usually don't ever milk a uh a side out you know far enough for it to stop right there's a lot of things that go into that to to mastitis and just utter care it's not all it's important to keep that barn clean but it's not all about cleanliness at the end of the day on that um it certainly helps but that's always been my concern with with that contraption was it we would put a significant amount of pressure on yeah. that teat suction on that teat and i just I, it was faster for me to to milk her out by hand and so we kind of toss it off we were, we, were said, told, we're, we were told back then that it's the inflammation of that teat canal and that all swells and opens much bigger than it normally does and stays open longer than it normally does. And that's how bacteria can be introduced to that peak canal. Right. Which and would make sense. Have, it was usually some type of a staphylococcus, I think. I'm probably saying that wrong now, but um, bacteria that was getting into there and causing issues with it. But, but yeah, we, so that was kind of my concern too. A lot of people just had trouble getting that utterly milk or whatever the thing was called the kind of get it to line up and to work properly and it has to seat just ever so correctly or it's not going to create the vacuum it wants to create and 
I just figured by the time I went through all that, I could have you milked out. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like you said, there's plenty of people that swear by them. Absolutely love them. And I think if we found something that worked kind of in a foolproof manner, um, we'd be all over it. But yeah, it's something I'm only that, milking out like four or five ounces. That doesn't take that long yeah, to do. It it does not. And and ideally, unless we're moving towards a, a plan of freezing some of that colostrum. My hope is to not milk very many out. As you had wow. mentioned earlier, my hope is that those lambs get up and do the job that yeah, they're supposed to. Yeah, I only so, do that if, like I say, if it's a U, I have to two. Um, I probably should check them more often than I do. And maybe yeah. that's the other thing you could be doing uh, coming up on your, your lambing is to, you would have thought you would have already checked others and know who you need to be keeping an eye on kind of thing. But uh, we kind of covered last time all the meds we thought we should have. Was there anything else you thought we should have? We were going to try to have a little Bozy on hand this year. I don't know. Yeah. I talked to yeah. people that uh, every lamb born, they 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 dose with Bozy. Right. Yeah, and we're hitting them with some Bozy there at, at that 24-hour or before 24 hours of age. Um I, you know, the big things that I think we had mentioned last time, making sure we have lube on hand, making sure, and I did actually check and uh, had mentioned when we were out ultrasound, it was like, well, if you hear me say on the podcast that we don't pull very many glams and my gallon of lube is only a an eighth of the way empty, when I pulled it out of the cupboard, I think it was even less than that. So it's like, oh, yeah. just, you know, I'm not. You know, exaggerating on this, it okay. was it was a funny conversation. But having making sure we have those OB sleeves uh, on hand in that box, sealed up, not dusty, in a semi as close to sterile as we can yeah. we can get it um, out in the barn. And then I I think another thing that again we haven't used haven't used a lot a lot of times with commercial use. Um, with the Texel use, we've used it a couple times, but having a, a lambing snare, so I'm not taking a that's easy to clean or a set of set of chains, OB chains that you can attach to a leg and use your hand to fish around for a head or assist a head getting through that that pelvic uh, opening. I, that makes to me that makes all the difference and i don't have small hands so i can't even if you do have small hands i think it's difficult to get two hands in at one time oh yeah and they're slippery you know that's yeah. that's the difficult thing so instead of ob chains it, it feels excessive but it's one of those things that to me it's something i can can sanitize after the fact and it's not a piece of twine it's easy to use, um, you know, a snare is something to grab a head inside. We've used before to keep that head in line. So we have that normal positioning yeah. of, of that lamb and a snare takes up quite a, quite a bit less space yeah. than what my hand and forearm does. So yeah. in a tight situation, I can go in, work inside the, the body of that animal get that snare around the head and then for example, put chains around the feet. So I'm not losing the feet 
and then just pull with chains and keep that snare in place with that head so that then it's coming out in a normal presentation. Yeah. And so don't, those, I don't ever have to do one of those. Um, I can't remember exactly. I just remember that every time I get the feet where I want them and then I go to find that head, I lose the feet again. And so I, I put a piece of paper twine, plastic paper twine, <laughs> made a little loop, yep. put around those feet, just kept a little tension on that with the other hand. Right. Until I got that head where I needed it to be. And then and then that lamb came right out. It was the most amazing thing. I was like, holy smoke. Yep. <laughs> just slid right everything through. up. Yeah. Just slid right out. But so how did your ultrasound yeah. go? Very well. Yeah, it was it was kind of the ideal timeline i think we kind of talked about that in the episode of 45 days bread to 60 days bread and really being able to see um see those fetal counts we had some some sheep that would have been closer they probably 80 days uh to 90 days bread and uh, um and those would have been our terminally sired Katahdin ewes, bred to a taxable ram. And those lambs were significantly larger, and so didn't get fetal counts on on those. Um, but it's amazing to me, you know, your eyes just it becomes trained to a point that you throw the probe on and you're looking at the screen and uh, just to see the differences between the shortbread versus 45 to 60 day versus 90 day, yeah. it was like automatic. And it it was fun. Um, just to see like how fast we could get going on, on these. And I think, um, you know, while we were going, going through, it probably took longer than what most would in a, in a commercial setting for, uh, bread, not bread. And we're trying to get some of those fetal counts. So we ended up with quite a few, like one plus where they're definitely bred. We can see fetal development here in this uh individual area and then to to manipulate the probe to where it needs to go wasn't worth the time or you could you just catch a glimpse of a second one over here but it wasn't fully confirmed that they had two um and so it ended up being a one plus on the on the sheet but uh, there were a couple others there was one that um, it was like the third U we had done that was like, we're pretty, sh- pretty sure we saw four. Really? On yeah. On that one. And it's like, man, we'll see. And you know, you're skeptical and it's like, Hey, we're write it down. We'll call it, just call it as you see it. And then we'll go back at lambing. Yeah. You know, assuming we don't lose any, um, yeah, how accurate you are. Yeah. We, we don't slip any. We'll go back and see, okay, that one that was a two plus had triplets. Yeah. So, like, you, you did see three yeah. in there. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was a good time, and uh, it went very, I'd say it was very smooth, um, probably more manhandling of the sheep than what, what we would like. Yeah. Um, but I was the one doing it, so... I'm not going to complain. And, you know, you just get them, pull them out of the chute, get them backed up to where they need to be and make sure that, that the person ultrasounding is, 
is moving as little as possible. Yeah. One of the goal is to make it as convenient as possible. So now um, are you going to break those into uh, all those using the different groups and feed them according to what the ultrasound said? Or so, I don't think we'll do. I don't think we'll do that based on, um, based on the fetal counts because there were. The bulk, I would say, uh, if we were like you, you'd probably even say it was more normally distributed. We only had a handful that only had one. Okay, confirmed one. Like we felt pretty confident that there's only one in there. You look at her and you say, "Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised." Or there was a reason. There was a you that um, that came from was purchased, came in from another farm, got bottle jaw in during the breeding season. Pulled her out, got her treated, um, and then threw her in with Ram shortly after. Um, after she recovered, we got some weight back on her. She only had one. Yeah. And so there were some situations when you know who it is that you say, okay, well, I'm not surprised yeah. that you're only going to have uh, a single because of what you went through during breeding season. And so um, that's, like, that's just one example of, of like that situation and then i there's a handful of of for sure ones i'd say the majority are one plus and twos and then another two plus probably makes up like i another quarter okay and then just a handful of like threes so it's fall and then that one four and again we'll see what that one showed up on the screen and it was like I, you could almost count just without moving anything huh. that hard line in between, yeah. you know, four separate, you know, individuals. But, um, huh. so yeah, we probably will not go and, um, and change management pre lambing based on the ultrasound. What we will do though, I think is once we're looking at, if we get some more years of data, of doing this and we know that we're pretty accurate in in collecting this we could start to to look at some changes in management um but again this is the first year we've done ultrasounds and it again since i've had the the weather type views so and we mentioned in that episode those were not terribly accurate yeah so, so um but i feel good about the bread not bread i think we had two open out of the 75 so it wasn't a bad day by any means um and and yeah and i think we will as mentioned before we'll probably wait until those lamb and then make our decisions on what we what we want to do with those triplet bearing ewes Uh um to see if we can manage those in a in a fashion that's better for for those ewes and for those lambs um but we'll we'll see so, so can you think of anything else you're going to need before lambing? I know we're going to, we need to load up on the uh, CDMT. Yeah. Well, that I would be, I are you going to look or, like, Oh, I don't have anywhere near as much as I thought I did. So yeah. are you going CDT or are you going Covexin? No, probably CDMT. Okay. You know, yeah. I, I, I have a bunch of Covexin. 
Oh, do you really? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's But we started to use it. And, uh, man, we just got lump after lump after lump. And then I started hearing all the horror stories that those lumps can then turn to abscesses. And I was like, oh, geez, I, I don't want to deal with it. So it, it it just basically scared me. And so I just didn't, yeah. just didn't do it. Although I know tons of people that use it. And they're like, we never have any problems with it. So I don't yeah, know. Yeah, we went, we went through and and did all of the U's last year and all of the U lambs. So we should be good for a booster mm-hmm. of Covaxinate this winter pre-lambing and carry in some, some immunity on those lambs through that colostrum and uh, with the goal of hitting those lambs with Covaxinate pre-weaning. Yeah. Uh, good, a good amount of time pre-weaning. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's a great example of something in lambing preparation of of trying to have some of that passive immunity coming through the U to the lamb. Yep. And we know that four to six week window pre-lambing is is when we need to be prepared. You know, I don't necessarily need my ear tags here four to six weeks before lambing, but I do need my vaccination, my vaccines well, here. Um, one of the things I tell you about the ear tags is we there was one year where we had a heck of a time getting ear tagged. Really? And it just seemed like everybody was just, it was after, I, honestly, I think it was before COVID. Um, I know during COVID, everybody had trouble getting anything, but uh, I think it was before COVID, and we just kind of thought maybe we just need to order them earlier. Like, I don't know if everybody ordered them at the same time, and that was suddenly, everything was back ordered. Shortage, yeah, right. But we we kind of went, uh, so now I've been trying to order ahead of time, and usually I'd have them ordered by now, but yeah. I always end up ordering way more than I need because, you know, you're always optimistic. And then uh, I always have a bunch of tags left over, and I'm always thinking, what am I going to do with these tags? And we try to change colors every year, although every time they lose a tag, we're grabbing one of the old tags and sticking in. And putting them in. So it's not necessarily even the right color on the you know, kind of thing, but Yep. We're yeah. right there with you. I do think, you know, we're using quite a bit of, uh, I think the product's called Survive. Be similar to NutriDrench. And yeah. anything, especially when it's cold out, uh, we probably don't need it to the extent this year that we've used it in the past. And is there any you know, research that goes to backing up the the survivability of of providing a an oral supplement at early stages of life to death loss and improvement. I, not that I'm aware of. Um, and it's probably more for the, for the producer to feel good. Like, Oh man, I'm giving them this fat and energy. Uh, I would like to think that it makes a difference. And yeah, I, I uh, just give somebody them this them- summer. They said they hit every lamb with that. Yeah. If it's cold, we give, we give a pump or two to, to lambs just to give them give them a little extra shot of energy to get them up and going so that um so that they nurse with some vigor yeah. and again my hope is they get up and nurse with some vigor regardless of yeah. what what i'm giving we, yeah we've never done that we always keep some of the uh what was that neutral drench or whatever it's called. We always keep yeah. some of that on hand, and we just tend to put that in the water bucket 
of a you that maybe just doesn't look like she's feeling too well. Okay. And, yeah, and that we've used it on years. It's highly scientific in our dosage. Um, With you know, the pump we, pump method, or something about a pump. We just take the cap off and pour some <laughs> in. Oh, oh no! Like, Don't give her too much. <laughs> we might need that for some other use. So, <laughs> yep. Nice. And, uh, occasionally, we'll have a you that will do that. She'll drink that entire bucket. So I don't right. know, kind of sweet, or she just says, "Oh, this is something I really need," or you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, and that's so. That's something we'll put an order in for that and make sure it's it's here before um, before we start lambing. Still need to get my my straw purchased and and brought in, and hopefully we can find some big squares again. And that's that's been very convenient for us. Um, and then I think we're gonna look at. And this is getting into the weeds on on being prepared for this, but it's something to consider. Is before the end of the year, the goal is to uh, get all of our feed purchased for the lambing season, and then, uh, you know, depending on where you're at, if you have a feed mill close to you, most will offer a what they call a grain bank. Uh, so the ability to purchase corn from a it used to be that you could buy it from the feed mill, and apparently in Ohio they've cracked down on that. But purchasing that feed, that corn from a producer now, okay. having it hauled into that feed mill and then um, storing it there for—I mean, it's a, a nominal payment. Um, yeah. So I—that's something we're going to try to do. So we make sure that we're we're combating that fluctuating corn market. Um, because right now I can buy corn for right around four fifty a bushel, um, compared to the six fifty a bushel that I'm paying at the mill. Because when they bought corn, the corn they're giving you right now, when they purchase corn, it was six fifty a bushel. Yeah, and so they have to sell a certain. They have to sell all of their six six fifty bushel corn for six fifty a bushel. Yeah. Before they can start selling you the four fifty a bushel corn, yeah. Um, so it's yeah. I mean that stuff gets a little tricky. I'm by no means a, a grain marketer, and I'm sure there will be people that listen to this be like, "Well, he's got that a little off." And if he would do this, it would be better than doing this. And then there's probably people like, "I didn't even know you could do that." So, so well, it'd be good to, it'd be good to hear from those people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Tell us what we're doing wrong. Tell us how we can buy right. Great. right. Yeah. Find me the loopholes so yeah. I can get yeah, cheaper feet. To fix that. So, yeah, yeah. I've got, and that's uh, something... I'm working with our local guy and I gave him a ration and I wanted him to put it together and a couple other rations. Um give me a number. That's been like three weeks. I haven't heard back from him. I don't know. He's Oh no. This is always the way it is with this guy. He's he's just Slow getting stuff done, I guess. Great. It, it well, hopefully, he's not a listener. Maybe he is, and then he can. Well, hope he is. Like, here's your get it right, or I'm gonna have to call you out on the podcast. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great. Oh yeah. no. No. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I have to get a hold of him today and say, "What's the hold up? I need those numbers." Yeah. We want to have. We want to make sure we have that. We're gonna, like I said, we're gonna try to creep feed some this year. And uh, I know there's terminal lambs. I like to put weight on them as quick as I can and get them out the door. Mm-hmm. 
Because I'm a yeah, I'm excited to Every see day those. they're on the farm is just a day closer they are to dying on the farm. So, <laughs> right, <laughs> get them out the door as quick as possible. But yeah, yeah. Well, we're coming up on our time again here. Again, we kind of feel like we just rambled on. Maybe we didn't hit everything we we wanted, but. Yeah, and I think those are the big the big ticket items. I, I feel like we can put a stop to, not a stop, but just a nice ending on being prepared for that lambing season. Again, we've got hopefully a, a month, two months yeah. uh, for, for most individuals. And, and if you have any lambing questions or topics you think need to be covered or you'd be curious on, on hearing that topic covered by somebody else, uh, you know, let us know. And I think the hope is we're going to roll out some, some new series here over the next month, two months, and uh, really hone in hard on, uh, on some soil science and soil biology stuff. And, um, but we don't want to forget about the sheep. So certainly if you have questions, reach out with those and we'll see if we can get them answered on an episode. Yep. You can do that by, uh, you get directly in touch with me through email there at bigtomperkins at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page. You can go on the Grazing Sheep podcast and you can like and follow. And uh, you can ask your questions on there as well. Or just give us some comments. It's been fun. Uh, you know, I kind of upload these episodes to a bunch of different uh, sheep groups. And, well, like for the last month, I guess, more and more people have been commenting on those. And that's been kind of fun getting on there having a few little discussions and so on i'm not real good at typing so it takes me a while to get all that typed out. i'm more like a bumper you know just thump 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 so that tick 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 kind of deal so but it's been good catching up with you there cam and uh we'll talk to you later you too tom have a good one. all right bye